With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This, this, this is, 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 is Fight Disciples. We are gathered here today for the Fight Disciples UFC and Boxing Talk. Welcome to Fight Disciples on Radio City Talk. I'm your host, Nick Peace. I've got a special guest in the studio before I introduce him to you all let me just say what a weekend for Merseyside Fight Sports it was all happening I told you about it last week I said last week you've got to get tuned into the Fight Sports this weekend we had Callum Smith over in Germany in the World Boxing Super Series but listen I didn't go over there I was supposed to go I didn't go in the end because of the late change of opponents more on that later Callum did progress obviously George Groves showdown coming up in June confirmation of that date to come once we know George Groves the state of his shoulder but I stayed in Liverpool I went down to the Echo Arena because listen something special went down there once again Cage Warriors 90 was in town we saw the 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 coronation of a new Scouse world champion and also the comeback of a future champion or future two-time champion, should I say, in Paddy the Baddy Pimlet. We're going to come on to that straight away with my honourable guest this evening, Mr Dan Hardy, former UFC title challenger himself. Lovely to see you, my friend. <laughs> it's good to be here, mate. I'm always listening to the show, so it's nice to be on this on this end of the microphone. Tremendous, mate. Why would you like Liverpool to a hell of a view from the top of the tower? It's beautiful, yeah. It's, I always enjoy coming to Liverpool, you know, I was talking to my wife about this. She's from America and she's travelled around the UK and has got a good feeling of the island now. And I always say the same thing. Liverpool is the tightest knit community in the country. It's the, you know, everybody here, they're all friends. Even if you've never met somebody else before, as soon as you hear they're from the same city, as soon as you hear they're from Liverpool, you mates immediately. And I like that. It's not the same with any other city in the UK. Yeah. So it's, it's a good energy around it. It's a good vibe. And that transfers over to Cage Warriors at the, the Echo. It was amazing. Yeah, the atmosphere was incredible. Have you fought on Liverpool before, Dan? Have you ever fought up here? No, never. No. You've been up here quite a few times for fights and stuff like that. They'll cornered a few times and, you know, back in the Olympia days and all that, <laughs> when, when, when MMA was really breaking through in the city, we had some crazy small hall stuff. But to see where it is now at the Echo Arena, you know, thousands of fans again, atmosphere was incredible, especially the main card. It was something special. Yeah, it, it was, you know... And Paddy Pimblett walking out as well, and the way he finished as well. I mean, a flying triangles. Not not the first time he's done it in his career either. It was beautiful work. Um, you just kind of feel like the sky's the limit for him. You know, he's going to progress to something special, and he's going to take that that crowd following with him. Yeah. Um, and after the fight, celebrating, he jumps the jumps the fence. He was straight into his fans. They completely wiped out our our uh, cage side uh, recording studio. <laughs> the lights went. We broke a tripod. We almost lost the camera. Um, but it was great. It was great to see. You know, it was very Conor McGregor esque. You yeah. know, you know, jumping the fence and joining his fans. But the difference was that the uh, the Liverpoolian fans put the fence and the set back. They rebuilt it for <laughs> us <they>? afterwards, <laughs> which was really nice. Oh, brilliant! What's the um, obviously the pockets of fans in there? It wasn't. I'll be honest. It wasn't the biggest crowd. I think when Paddy uh, lost his belt last time out at the Echo Arena. It felt like there was a much bigger crowd that night. I mean, obviously, a bit of a transition period, but the atmosphere, take nothing away from it, the atmosphere was still special. What was the difference? Because, you, you listen, you're at UFC events week in, week out, the world over, Dan. 
Um, for fans that went to Cage Warriors at the weekend, what's the difference, first of all, outside the octagon in terms of atmosphere? You know, How does the UFC feel different? But also, in terms of quality, what people from Liverpool got to see at the weekend, how does that differentiate from what you see at the UFC? Are we talking two or three levels below? Or are we talking the likes of Molly and Paddy? Very similar. Um, I, I certainly I certainly think that Molly and Paddy are, are you know, that that UFC level. I, I can see Paddy crossing over very quickly. Molly, I would like to see a defender belt one more time. Um, I know the, the the UFC flyweight division is fairly new, but there are some good, well-rounded fighters in there. And I just think that, you know, for Molly to walk out one more time as the champion in front of her hometown crowd and defend it once more, I, I think that would be really useful for her confidence. Whereas Paddy, his confidence seems kind of untouchable, to be honest. Um, th- there was a bit of a difference in the arena, but I think that that was partly because Paddy's been away for some time. Um, I think he had a lot of momentum going into the Nad Naramani fight, you know, coming off the, the, the Cage Warriors unplugged win over Julian Arosa. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of felt like people saw his potential building and they were following that. And then when he lost to Nad and then he was away for the, the, the most recent Cage Warriors up here because of injury, I think I think a little bit of the uh, the momentum was lost. But with that win at the weekend... I think when the when Cage Warriors come back, I think September they're planning on coming back to the Echo. Yeah, I think it's going to be absolutely incredible. Um, and you know we've got to get a UFC here. We have to have a fight night here. Uh, Darren Till was just in the arena um, on Saturday night, and the fans were buzzing. Everybody wants to be around. And and what's nice about coming up here, and you were talking about the difference in the crowd. Mm-hmm. When you go to a UFC event, you have fans there that are you know they're following a particular fighter on the card, but they don't necessarily know the people around them in the arena it's not that you don't get that party atmosphere that you do here and that's what i was talking about earlier with scousers you know even if you don't know each other because you're all scousers you're all mates and it's a party yeah and you don't get that atmosphere anywhere else in the country it's amazing so i think that's the difference and i think that when certainly when dana white brings the ufc here and he sees how uh how the you know the liverpoolian fans are especially in comparison to the you know to the irish fans who at the moment have set the precedent mm-hmm. i i think that we're going to see more shows certainly up uh, up the northeast do you think um do you think there's a, a chance of it happening this year i do i, I don't see why they wouldn't i, I think that we're going to get more more fight out of darren till i think they'll try and put him on um like a fox sports show or something like that yep. because you've got to think everybody knows who cowboy is everybody knows who donald Cerrone is and now darren till's beaten him People want to know more about Darren Till, but they're still not very not aware of him across the US. So if you put him on one of those free cards on Fox, everybody will see him perform. Everyone will gravitate towards his next performance, and then he can start, you know, headlining, co-headlining. Really, he should be headlining up here in, in Liverpool with, you know, Paddy and Molly on the undercard. That would make sense. Yeah, Chris Fishgold didn't feature on that card at the weekend, but he for me would be a bit of a no-brainer to go on a Darren Till undercard. Surely, make his UFC debut. He's ready. I think so. I think so. He was at Polaris the other week and it was a bit of a frustrating one for him. But you can tell he's got that, that will to compete, that desire to compete. And he wants to stay active. And, and I think as soon as he is a UFC uh, fighter, and I, and I think he's more, more, more deserving than anybody else in the city at the moment, to be honest. Um, I think once he is signed, I think we'll really start to see him settle into his game and we'll see the best out of him. At the moment, he's still champing at the bit and he's still kind of chasing that UFC dream. And there's some pressure that comes with that. A bit of uncertainty as well, which... Um, you know, can kind of dampen your spirits if you're waiting for too long. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, he's certainly going to get signed this year. If he doesn't, it would blow my mind. Yeah. Um, and you talk about a moving to featherweight as well. Yeah. Is that kind of is that? Do you think that keeping his options open? Because I think a lot of the, certainly European guys do get signed by the UFC when opportunity knocks, when a fight falls out. 
You know, so I, I'm not too sure about the London card. Is there a lightweight on there or a featherweight on there? But you'd like to think that Fishgold may well be keeping himself in shape just in case the phone rings. Yeah, well, there are some, you know, there are some good fights on the card. I mean, Tom Dukin was on the card. I think he's, he's a bantamweight at the moment, but he's going to be moving up. I mean, that'd be a great fight for, yeah. for Fishgold to come into the UFC on. Um, you know, England v France would be, is always a great, a great card to, a great fight to have. I think there are some really good matchups for him. My concern with him moving down to featherweight is that it may affect his output because he's a very high-paced, aggressive fighter. And I think that a part of the reason that he's able to maintain that pace is because he doesn't kill himself to to get down to weight. Yeah. Um. And I think to be honest, we, he reminds me a lot of the, like the new version of of Ross Pearson in a lot of ways. Even just his posture, the way he's built as a as a fighter, he's built like a fighter. I mean, you look at Ross Pearson physiologically, you couldn't pick a better a better physique a better build for a fighter and I would say Chris Fishgold's the same I just think that if he if he forced himself to get down to featherweight without having a couple of trial runs first it might affect him detrimentally yeah and you know the, the sport's shifting you look at the lightweight division there's a lot of guys there that could probably make featherweight same with the welterweight division there are a lot of guys there that either used to be lightweight so could go down to lightweight so I think there's a shift in the sport, and your mate as well, uh, Israel Asienda. He's, uh, yep, you know, absolutely, he could definitely make, yeah, exactly. He could definitely make welterweight. You know, whereas yep. he's fighting at middleweight at the moment. In terms of Paddy, then, you know that that performance on Saturday night. Uh, he desperately needed that. You know, we talked then about the Juicy J and the NAD fight. You know, he was very lucky against Juicy J. I think he even accepts that as well. The NAD fight, you know, it finally came crumbling down on him. I'd spoken to him before the fight at the weekend. He said, Nick, you know what? I'm just not, I wasn't taking my career seriously. I was taking it for granted. I was the Cage Warriors world champion. And you know what? I was hardly breaking a sweat in the gym and I wasn't pushing myself. And I was doing just enough um, to get in shape. And then it was like, it was all about cutting the weight. Where this time around, no, no issues with the weight cut because he moved up to lightweight, and he's learning every day. And as, even, even, um, you know, even, even a head coach in there as well. He, he was saying to me, Paul, Paul Rimmer was saying, he's like a changed kid. He's gone back to the fifteen-year-old Paddy that was skipping school to come here to do extra classes. He wants to learn. He wants to move on. And in reality, the last twelve months on paper it might look like a disaster, but it could make Paddy the body. It's good that he's had these experiences before he got to the UFC because it's it's much more difficult to come back from a loss like the Nad Naramani fight. It's much more difficult to come back from that loss if it's your UFC debut because the next time you're making your walk to the octagon, you associate that with the previous performance, which wasn't good. Now, I agree with the Julian Arosa fight. I thought that he, he squeezed by that one. I thought he was very lucky. And I, I thought after that fight that he would have some realizations when he got back to the gym and he thought he, he would realize he had to round out his game and add a few more things to it. And I don't think he learned those lessons. And I think that when he went into the Naramani fight, I certainly think he felt out muscled in that fight when he couldn't get the submission. I don't I don't think he felt like he had much in the striking range as well. Yeah. Um, that left him in a, a bit of a desperate spot to try and scramble for submissions. Whereas what was interesting at the weekend, especially because he's gone up a weight class, he looked leaner. He looked bigger and leaner and stronger. And he, his pace was much better. You know, yeah. all the way through the first round, he was constantly chasing that It was a good fight as well. It was it's a, a tough lot of fight. fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. That, that finish, though, Dan, beginning the second round, he goes for the flying triangle. You know, even Darren Till said to you in the commentary afterwards, and he said, I would never be brave enough to try something like that. What yeah. did he mean by that? Well, it's funny. I actually said the same thing on the broadcast as well. You have to be, a, you have to believe that you're a special kind of athlete to throw a jumping triangle in a fight. You know, it's like I likened it to the Anthony Pettis Showtime kick. Like you don't try something like that unless you believe that you're a special kind of athlete that could pull it off. Like Darren Till, and we know Darren Till's a special athlete, but he wouldn't throw a jumping triangle up because no. there's a lot of risk to it. 
But Paddy seems almost impervious to these risks, and partly due to the fact that he's you know he's twenty three years old and he's a superstar in this city. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, and I do think that that was part of the reason for holding. You know, he was holding back. He was he was not quite reaching his potential because he's twenty two and he is a superstar in Liverpool. You know, he walks around the streets. The kids love him. Everyone's got his hair cut. Yeah. Everyone wants to. You know, they're following him on Instagram. They want to see where he's at and what he's doing, where he's shopping, what he's wearing, what he's buying. I mean, he's, he's a trendsetter in this city. Absolutely. And it's not until you step outside of that that you that you realise that, you know, there's a much bigger world out there. And I feel like, although the, the Naramari fight was here, I felt like that came to him in Liverpool and he was almost shown up in front of his fans a little bit and he doesn't want that to happen again. So that's a, an additional level of motivation for him. In terms of the crowd, you know, I've talked about this many times in terms of the, the demographic that comes out to watch Paddy Ubadi. You touched on it then. He's a trendsetter for the kids. You know, he's he's plugged into social media, which for any fighter at any level, any professional prize fighter on the planet right now, if you haven't got your social media game locked down, then you may as well forget about it because it's free marketing and it's how most fighters sell tickets and, and certainly get interest and, and build fans. But um, to do that, to pull off a move like that then, in front of this young audience, in front of this impressionable audience who, don't forget, are still reeling from the fact that last time they went to watch Paddy, he lost his world title. Suddenly, their, their, their hero, if you like, has been proved to be mortal. To do that in the second round, to do a jumping triangle, to pull that submission off, that's kind of crazy because, you know, I said to him before, are you feeling the pressure? You're a role model. Do you feel the pressure of it? He said, I don't feel the pressure. I just do it because I love it. And if he was 33, I guess his attitude would probably be completely different. He probably wouldn't have done that, thinking, oh, I can't, I could make a fool of myself. If I miss here, I'm in a terrible position and I could make a fool of myself. But the fact that he's paddy, the fact that he's confident, the fact that he's so young means that he pulls that stuff off. And then, you know, rightly so, it goes viral. The whole world are talking about it Sunday morning. Yeah. Well, that's what we want to see. I mean, you know, Darren Till's sitting cage side and he sees a jumping triangle. And, and it, I mean, he was surprised and entertained by it. That, they're the kind of performances that do go viral and do get you signed to the UFC. I, I remember posting a video of uh, um, Tom Dukenwar uh, scoring a knockout on Bama. Uh, I can't remember who he was fighting now, but it was a beautiful elbow knockout. I posted that on my Instagram as you know on the replay, and forty thousand people viewed it. You know, those kind of things are, are, are what notifies the world that you're there and mm. notifies the world that you stand out amongst all of the other MMA fighters around. And you know, the lightweight division is full of amazing fighters. So it takes a special performance and it takes a risky performance to, to draw that kind of attention. And it just comes easy to Paddy. That's yeah. what's beautiful to watch. You know, it, it's very difficult for a lot of fighters to draw that kind of attention. They have to work hard at it. it it's it's easy for Paddy. It's there for him. You know, he, he connects with the fans. People love him. And you were talking about the demographic. And I think between uh, between Molly and Paddy, they, they attract a demographic that the UFC doesn't. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, to an extent, we do scratch on it. We do, we do, you know... We do draw some kids in. We do draw some, you know, big groups of, of girls that are on a night out. But it was a different atmosphere in there the night. You know, 18 to 35 men is is the demographic for the UFC. Yeah. I would say, you know, a third of the arena was 18 to 35 men. The rest of them were, you know, young kids, young teenagers. Eight, eight and nine-year-old kids yeah. out with dads with homemade paddy t-shirts. The lot. It's insane. Absolutely amazing. And then on the other side of that, you've got Molly's fans who basically look like they're on a Hindu. Yeah. There's just hundreds of girls who look like they've gone to see Molly win a world title and now they're going out on the town, yeah. all in the glad rags. It's and, crazy. And you know what's really nice about it as well is that they 
there's not that that anxiety and that anticipation from them when they're in the arena because they're just celebrating that they're there. Yeah, that's the different. You know, when I'm there to watch a fighter, when I'm there to support a fighter, I feel a little bit anxious in the build up to the fight because I want them to achieve. I want them to to put on a good performance. The Molly McCann fans, they just want to be there to witness her enjoying herself, doing what she loves to do. Yeah, you know, and it doesn't really matter what the result is; they will love her no no matter what. Of course, is, is that because they're not necessarily mixed martial arts fans? Then they don't realize the implications of what can go wrong or what anything else. They they kind of there because their friends doing it, and they want to be there. And then afterwards, they're all going to go and drink champagne, and regardless of the result, is that why that it's it's kind of feels different? I, I think the energy is so, yeah. a lot higher because yeah. there's no anxiety. I think well, she's already she's already won the battle by being a, being on Cage Warriors. She's already won the battle by signing for the fight and walking into a world title fight in front of that crowd. Because, you know, everybody in the arena knows the kind of pressure that that would that would feel like. It, it's a very difficult circumstance to be in to be fighting for a world title in front of your hometown, especially when you're very when you're a very emotional fighter like Molly is. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, people can feel that pressure. So they're celebrating the fact that she's already overcome that. She's already there in the arena and they just want to see her do what she enjoys the most. It's kind of like Ronda. You know, when Ronda was fighting, it didn't really matter how the fights went. People were, women across America were empowered because she was who she was. Yeah. And I very much feel like that's the same situation with Molly and, and the fans that come to watch her fight. Absolutely. Molly McCann, champion of the world. Stick with us, because coming up in part two, I'm going to ask Dan about our next future champion of the world, Mr. Darren Till. He was there on Saturday night. I'm going to find out from Dan how far we are away from this welterweight title shot for the one and only, the gorilla, Darren Till. Stick with us. You're listening to the Fight Disciples podcast. Welcome back to Fight Disciples on Radio City Talk. If you're only just joining me, I'm in the studio with the one and only, the outlaw himself, Mr. Dan Hardy. Uh, we've just been rapping about Cage Warriors at the weekend. Obviously, Molly McCann becomes the new Cage Warriors flyweight champion of the world. What an exciting future she's got. We were also obviously talking about Paddy the Baddy Pimlet and the 2018 potentially that could play out for, for the Baddy. Uh, and no doubt that will end up at some stage in his career with the UFC. But one guy who we have got in the UFC right now making massive waves is the Gorilla. You named him the Gorilla as well. You give him the tagline, <laughs> you give him it, and now he's he's took it on board. Darren Till, uh, he wanted to join us in the studio today, actually, but he was he was stuck training. He apologised. Um, but listen, Dan, he was he was with us at the weekend. He was chatting to you on uh, on screen on Saturday night. I think a lot of fans as well. I noticed on social media because they can make that comparison now. You know, here's, here's Dan who fought George St Pierre for the welterweight title, and he's standing next to our new welterweight title hope yeah Darren Till I think a lot of people on Subway are going hey mate wait a minute how big is Darren yeah, Till he's massive it's he is. crazy he is how he does is. he do 170 I don't know you know he's, he's just got he's got such a big frame he's got the kind of frame that could quite easily carry him up to middleweight possibly even light heavyweight and he's certainly got the frame that won't allow him to go lower than than uh, welterweight yeah now I've got a frame that I could probably force down to lightweight if I wanted to Darren Till there's no chance he's at his lightest weight right now um and he just carries the weight so well you know he's, he's got He's tall, he's got broad shoulders, he's got a long reach, um, and he's not got a massive amount of muscle mass on his frame at the moment, which makes him very efficient. Yeah. You know, he's able to keep a high pace, keep a bullying pace on people, and, and they just break, you know, and when they can see that confidence that he's got, he's, you know, his chin's up, his chest's out, his hands are down, and that's a that's not a staged confidence, that's absolutely for real. It's, yeah. it's just like Paddy, you would expect Paddy to fight the same if he was a kickboxer. Yeah. Paddy fights the same as a grappler, which is very different, but um, the confidence is, is, is almost uh, exactly the same. In terms of you know welterweights that you faced during your career, 
standing next to Darren is that similar to like matching up with with Anthony Johnson? Say probably the biggest welterweight that you faced. Did Anthony Johnson have that kind of frame as well, or was he more muscular? To be honest, has the sport changed that much that the welterweight division now looks more like middleweight compared to what it was ten years ago? It's weird because. It... <laughs> I, I would like to say yes because there are big fighters in there like you know the likes of, of Darren Till. Obviously, Damian Meyer came down from middleweight as well. Yeah. Neil Magny's massive, yeah. you know. But then at the same time, you look at Colby Covington, uh, Mike Perry. Uh, they they could both make lightweight. We've got guys that were lightweights like RDA and Cowboy and Masvidal. Yeah. So weight's becoming less of a thing, and and more of a you know how you use it if you do use it. You know, I always I always always use Stefan Struve as an example because. I was sparring with a kid the other day and he was saying he was struggling with my reach because he's, you know, he's a bit more Sean Shirt kind of kind of build. He's shorter and more muscular and fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was struggling with my jab. And I said, you know, reach is only an advantage if you know how to use it as an advantage. Like Stefan Struve's got the longest reach in the UFC. Mark Hunt, Roy Nelson still knocked him out, though. They still yep. came over the top. So I don't think weight and size is necessarily at the advantage that it used to be. I think skill is now coming through. And I think that... Darren Till has the reach and he knows how to use the reach because of his striking skills. So, um, I mean, we can definitely see him moving up the weight. I, I definitely see him a middleweight at some point in the future. Yeah. But as of right now, you know, he's, he is a bullying uh, welterweight. I, I don't, to be honest, when I squared off with Anthony Johnson, I don't actually think he was as big as Darren Till is. I think, you know, I think as far as muscle mass goes, I mean, Anthony Johnson's 275 pounds now. He's yeah. massive. You would never think he would ever make welterweight. But I wouldn't say his frame was any bigger than Darren Till's necessarily. I just I would just say he had more muscle mass. Yeah, scary. In terms of Darren Till, then why have we had to wait? I think it's four months now. It'll probably be at least six months before he does actually fight. What's what's gone on there? Uh, obviously, he had the standout performance against Cowboy in Gdansk. We thought then that would lead to a, a fight against someone in the top five. There's been a lot of talk about this Stephen Wonderboy Thompson fight. Um, is it, is it? I know Darren's had a, a couple of injuries. He's not been too well. He spent some time in Brazil. But speaking to him, he was like, "Well, the fight wasn't there. It wasn't. I was ready to go. It wasn't there for me." Why has he gone on? The, why has he, Darren seemed to have gone on the back burner? Do you think? Why? Why? You know, he's not. He's not fighting at UFC London, for instance. Yeah, I was disappointed to not see him on the London card. But at the same time, it, it does make sense. You, you've got to think that he fought Cowboy in Gdansk. Everybody knew that Cowboy was going over to, to Gdansk to fight this new up-and-coming welterweight prospect, but they still didn't know a great deal about Darren Till. I mean, that was the first um, the first finish he's had since his UFC debut with him when he stopped uh, Wendell Oliveira with those elbows. Yep. So he needed a big standout performance to kind of notify everybody that he was arrived and that he'd... You know, we, we lost him for about a year after the uh, the Nicholas Dalby fight where he dislocated his shoulder. So he yeah. lost some momentum there. And I think that with the Cowboy fight, it, it skyrocketed him up the rankings. It drew a lot of attention to him. But now what people need to do is they need to see him compete against another familiar name. Obviously, Stephen Thompson's the ideal opponent. But really, they need to do that on free TV in the US. Yeah. So the American audience can see Darren Till, see his potential. And then when we do put him in a main event against a you know a, a top five welterweight, then you know he will get the right kind of viewing numbers because he deserves it. There's a obviously there's been a lot of talk out of out of, out of Ireland from John Kavanagh from Conor McGregor's camp about potentially fighting Gunny Nelson. Uh, there's a fight UFC fight night coming up in Ireland um, in a couple of months' time. Do you think that could potentially be where where we see him go or? Are we are we basically waiting to see if Stephen Thompson's going to accept the fight? Is that that's kind of how it feels from a fan perspective? 
I think Stephen Thompson will take the fight. I just think he, I just think there are certain terms that he has to that, that he will take it on. And I think that one of those terms is North America. Yeah. I don't think he's going to travel outside of the U.S. to fight Darren Till because that puts him as as the B-class fighter in in that scenario. Because anywhere outside of the U.S. that that, that he's going to, there's going to be a much bigger Darren Till contingent there in support, even if it is you know Germany or Poland or wherever. You know, yeah. there's going to be a lot more support for Darren Till, and he'll kind of be the He'll be the one that's meant to win in that occasion because they're they're bringing uh, they're bringing Wonder Boy out for Darren Till. The difference is if Darren Till flies out to America, it's much more of an even playing field because that's you know Wonder Boy's a you know he lives in North America, so you bring Darren Till into his territory. Yeah, and that it almost gives uh, Wonder Boy the respect that he deserves being a higher ranked welterweight by bringing the contender to him instead of the other way around. Yeah. Um. So I, I think that's why he's dragging his feet a little bit, and plus you know. He knows that Darren Till's a risky fighter. He, he he's very good at keeping his cards close to his chest. Is Darren Till when he fights, and he he very rarely shows you the full extent of his game. Whereas because we've seen fifty minutes worth of uh, um, a Wonder Boy fighting Wonder um, Woodley, we yeah. kind of get a good read of him. We know what to expect. We know the in, ins and outs of his game, and we know what his capabilities are. Whereas Darren Till's still an emerging talent, and he's a he's a, a massive risk for Wonder Boy to take a fight against. Absolutely, but I get why the UFC. Are keen on it because as fans you know that that is the one fight i would like to see because it makes sense Stephen wonderboy thompson's had as you say two cracks at tyron woodley come up short twice into very unentertaining fights as well um we didn't know i don't think anybody on the planet's clambering to see a third fight between them uh, even the biggest you know Stephen wonderboy thompson fan can't really want to see that fight again anytime soon but wonderboy obviously with his personal desires to become world champion no doubt he knows or in his mind, he's got to get back there. He's got to do something different. He wants to be champion of the world. So to do that, he needs to make a statement against a statement opponent. Now, for me, who better than the guy that everybody is talking about in Darren Till? They're saying this guy is going to be the future of the division. This guy is going to become a world champion. This guy's a real threat to Tyron Woodley. Um, for me, that's a perfect fight for Stephen Wonderboy to go, okay, then we'll take it. Bring him to me and watch me do a number on him. Uh, I think because both of them are strikers as well, it appeals to everybody. I think a lot of people... Certainly fans are already saying, you know, uh, Darren Till, you have real struggle against the wrestler. We've been here before, don't forget. Conor McGregor used to get this, and then <laughs> they put him in with wrestlers, and he and he knocked them out as well. So in, in terms of Darren's skill set then, um, is Wonderboy the right fight at this time in terms of, you know, potentially we haven't necessarily seen him in with a, an American college wrestler. Wonderboy, of course, is a striker as well. Are we? Is that the type of opponent? Are we feeding him the right opponent, do you think? I think it's the perfect matchup for him for for two reasons. One, I mean, you know, you talk to Darren Till and he wants to fight everybody. Yeah. There's not, it's not a case of I want to fight Wonderboy because then that gets me closer to a title shot. Then I probably only have to fight one more guy before I get a, a shot at the world championship. That's not the, the thought process for Darren Till at all. He wants to fight Wonderboy because he's considered the best striker in the division. Yeah. If if Wonderboy wasn't even ranked in the top 15, Darren Till would still want to fight Wonderboy purely based on that. He wants to fight Mike Perry, even though Mike Perry lost at the weekend. He wants to fight Colby Covington because he's talking loads of trash. He wants to fight Kamaru Usman because he's an excellent wrestler. Like Darren Till, literally, if he had the time and and the you know, yeah, if if he had the time in his career, he would go through every single one of these welterweights to prove himself as the best. And what that tells me is that there's a there's a fundamental difference in in the way that he views himself as a fighter and the way that Wonderboy views himself. Mm-hmm. Wonderboy realizes that he's close to the top. And there are loads of other people that can quite easily take his place in one fight. Darren Till is willing to fight anybody to prove that he's the best in the world because he believes he's the best in the world. So for me, 
Wonder Boy's he's been a little bit more guarded and a little bit more calculated with his career, whereas Darren Till, and part of the reason why everybody loves him, is because he just wants to fight. In in terms of 2018 for Darren Till, then you know, as I say, it'll be the best part of six months he's been out for. You know, yes, it'd be great to get this Wonder Boy fight, but if it doesn't come off, you know, I'm sure he'd be keen to. To t- fight Gunny in Ireland or whatever it may be. Uh, personally, I don't think that's a good fight for Gunny Nelson at all uh, because, you know, I think Gunny's very predictable on his feet and against someone who's as deadly as Darren on the feet, it- it- it's a massively risky fight. But is Darren Till, do you think he has finally got. I think the problem with the welterweight division at the moment, it's so exciting below the champion, but the champion himself, even though he was the Mr. Excitement on his way to the belt, since he's won the belt, he's been safety first, Tyron Woodley. We need someone to unlock. Tyron Woodley to make it entertaining and he's, he's been in now with various types of fighters but maybe nobody with the kind of youthful aggression of what Darren Till brings to the table do, do you think that's why the UFC are trying to put Darren Till in that position to make that fight because they need this welterweight division to explode yeah I think so and I think you're right about Tyron Woodley you know there are two different different approaches when you become a champion you become a champion and you want to prove to everybody that you're champion so you will fight everybody no matter who it is no matter what they're standing what their uh, public opinion is um, you know how risky the fight is it doesn't matter you you want to prove yourself Tyron Woodley for me is holding the division hostage and that shows <laughs> Dean Amasinga we were talking about this the other day and he put it perfectly you know the, the Wonder Boy fights they were fascinating to watch when they were on but I wouldn't go back and rewatch them yeah now I have because I've researched the fight ready for the um, ready for when uh, Wonder Boy Woodley fought uh, Damian Meyer but then you watch the Damian Meyer fight and you can clearly tell that he was tr- just trying to hold onto the belt he's playing king of the hill and it's difficult when you have when you have one fighter that's like that, especially when they're so powerful. And that really shut Wonder Boy's game down because he knew the risks in approaching Tyron Woodley. He knows he's got that nuclear warhead in his right hand, and if you go near him, there's always a potential that he's going to catch you with it. Yeah, Darren Till's not going to show him that kind of respect, and I think the UFC realised that, so they they want to get him up there as quickly as possible. But you're right. I mean, the welterweight division has not been as exciting um, as it is now. Well. Ever, I don't think. I mean, I can think back to you know when GSP was was at the top and yeah. there were loads well, GSP of had it on lockdown. There was loads yeah. of contenders, but he fought a lot of contenders exactly. and proved himself to be a level above. Kind of similar to the flyweight division right now. He was just one step ahead of everybody else. Tyron Woodley on his way to the title looked sensational, but since he's got there, it's just flatlined, you yeah. know. And that's you know this is this comes back to you know his fallout with the UFC and everything else, saying I'm not getting the respect I deserve, not in the money I deserve. Entertainers then, Tyron. Like getting entertaining fights. It's not rocket science. I think that's why also Darren Till has won over a lot of fans, both here and over the other side of the Atlantic, because of his attitude of I'll fight anyone. Yeah. You know, that I spoke to Darren Till a few months ago and he was saying to me, I can't wait to lose because I want to see what that does to me as a fighter. And I want to see the type of people who walk away from me then and the ones who stay with me, because I'll know then about who me inner circle is and who my real friends are. And he's like, I'm so excited to lose because that will show me a hole in my game. But right now, I don't feel there's a hole in my game, which is a fascinating way to look at it if you're a martial artist. It's fascinating, especially when you can get to the top 10 in the world without you know, without picking up one of those losses. I mean, as close the closest he came was the, was the Nicholas Dalby fight, and he dominated those first two rounds. I yep. thought it was generous to give it a draw, to be honest, because for me, Nicholas Dalby came back strong in the third round, but only because Darren Till had a dislocated shoulder and he was really struggling to do anything. Yeah. Um, you know, you got to think if he didn't pick up that injury, that would have been another win on his record. So he's he's effectively unbeaten, undefeated, and 
you know, to get this far into the... I mean, we talk about Khabib all the time, but it's, it's just as impressive what Darren Till's done, especially when you consider his early career was the majority of the time fought in South America where Absolutely. he was the away fighter. I think we've discussed this before. Yeah. You know, every person he fought, he was the away fighter. He was the enemy fighting a local Brazilian fighter. So he was never getting easier matchups. He was always fighting grapplers. He was always fighting strong jiu-jitsu guys. So I think that although we've not seen those parts of his game, I, I don't think he's lacking them at all. And I think that if he gets the right opponent, someone that can challenge him in those ranges, I think we'll see him excel there as well. It just so happens that he's fought, you know, decent strikers, stri guys that are comfortable in the striking range, and that's you know that's his game. Um, you know, it's it's unfortunate that Tyron Woodley's uh, talking about the rest of the contenders like they are because everybody else in the world is excited about the welterweight division and excited about the likes of Kamara Usman and Darren Till and and Colby Covington and all these guys. And Tyron Woodley's just kind of shutting it down and talking about fighting GSP because nobody else is worthy. The reality is they're all worthy because they're all in the top ten. Yeah. And we can't we can't allow them all just to fight amongst themselves until one clear contender's at the top. That if we if if we did that, we'd never get the champion out there. You you look at um at Demetrius Johnson. He was fighting guys that were ranked you know five, six, seven in the division because he'd beaten everybody else. Yep. He's not waiting for them to fight out amongst themselves because he wants to stay active. And and I think that we need to see Tyron Woodley start picking off some of these rising contenders now. Absolutely. Uh, Darren Till, 2018. Hopefully that title shot at the back end of the year will be sensational. First of all, though, message out there for Wonder Boy, or should I say Wonder Man, Stephen Thompson. I think he's in his mid-30s now, Dan. We can't call him Wonder Boy anymore. Yeah, but we're still calling uh, Uriah Faber the California kid, and he's about 46 now, That's true, so, but, he still, yeah. but he actually looks like he a kid and dresses like a kid as well, so <laughs> in his defence. Uh, you're listening to Fight Disciples on Radio City Talk. Stick with us. We're going to be talking World Boxing Super Series in part three of the show. Callum Smith faces George Groves in June. We're going to talk about it next. You're listening to the Fight Disciples podcast. Welcome back to Fight Disciples on Radio City Talk. I'm still joined in the studio, happily, with my good friend Dan Hardy. We've been talking all things MMA so far. We've been talking about Darren Till, we've been talking about Cage Warriors 90 at the weekend. Sensational stuff. Hopefully more world titles to come in 2018. But one guy, well, you know what? I was almost going to say then he's guaranteed a world title fight in June, but as of yesterday morning, we heard that George Groves is going to have surgery on that shoulder injury that he succumbed to against Chris Eubank Jr. They're talking about moving the final of the World Boxing Super Series back to late June. It's currently penciled in for June the 2nd, I think. They're talking about pushing it back now to late June. For me, it's got to be pushed back. It's got to be George Groves versus Callum Smith. I think the tournament has been sensational so far, Dan, but it did suffer at the weekend when original opponents pulled out uh, Nicky Holtzkin came in as a late substitute against Callum Smith. I think a lot of people, myself in spec in, in, included, thought that Callum Smith would blow this guy away. It wasn't the case. Nicky Holtzkin put in a tremendous performance, went the distance with him. I think Callum won convincingly, but he went the distance with him. Holtzkin is someone you know about because of his kickboxing background, of course. You, you weren't surprised. No, I wasn't. I, he's, you know, he's from a long line of those really tough, durable kickboxers. One of my favourites of all time was Ramon Deckers, and you could have put him in any kind of fight, in any circumstance, and his toughness would have shown through. And Holskin's very much like that. He's, you know, he's a, a former Glory World champion. Glory World Series is the highest level of kickboxing that we've got in the world at the moment. And, and Nicky Holskin had held that belt for a long time, and it was, 
it was only the, the more flashy opponents that were more unpredictable that he struggled with. So when you put him in, in there against someone that's more of a traditional boxer that's got those more familiar movement patterns, that's when Nicky Holtz can, can kind of really show his, his best, his strength and his toughness. And he is an incredibly durable fighter. Yeah. And he's, he's got great hands as well. I mean, kick, when it comes to kickboxing, it's boxing and low kicks for him. That's his game. There's nothing, there's no real, uh, you know, frills around the edges. It, it's the, the basic stuff that works. It's that hard-nosed Dutch Muay Thai style of fighting. And, and it, you know, we've seen it with Tyron Spong as well. It crosses over fairly well to boxing. Yeah. Um, so it was great that he got the opportunity. And it's nice to see how, you know, a glory world series world champion former champion looks against a you know world class boxer yeah i thought he was outstanding and i think you know the the biggest thing i took from the fight from his performance was that toughness was the fact that callum smith was teeing off on him in the first four, four or five rounds especially he was hitting him with some massive shots but holtzkin just kept walking forward and kept trying and kept swinging away and you and you know even up until the later stages you know he was throwing bombs at Callum Smith he obviously saw this as a huge opportunity to you know to to kind of shortcut his way into the into the final of the tournament um but from a Callum Smith perspective you know you've you've got to be happy with that your guy coming at 5 days notice you've won you know, on my card, nine of the 12 rounds. You've won it from behind a jab. I think he, he broke the record for the most jabs thrown in a super middleweight contest. If you're Team Callum Smith, if you're his cornerman, you've got to be over the moon, Dan, because he's come out of it unscathed. Well, you've got to be, especially, you know, with a, a tough guy who's a, a real unknown commodity coming in at short notice. You've got to sit and you've got to get as much research done, research done as you can. There's not going to be a great deal of boxing because I think he had about 11, 10 or I 11. Think he's, fights, I think he was 12 so. and 0 going into this right. fight, Holtzkin. Yeah, so there's obviously not a lot of stuff out there to see what he's like as a boxer. I think Callum's big thing afterwards as well, he said, um, it was the unpredictability. He did things that he shouldn't do. He threw punches at the wrong times, <laughs> which for guys coming into boxing, like when kickboxers cross over or you know, even when even when Conor McGregor went in against Mayweather, I think his early success, a lot of that is down to the fact that He's not a regimented boxer. He's throwing stuff that you shouldn't really be throwing against Floyd Mayweather, or in this case, Holtzkin shouldn't really be throwing, you know, an uppercut from range against Callum Smith. But obviously, he's coming from a different world. He's going to try these things, and I think yeah. that through Callum Smith initially, at least. Yeah, well, it's kind of similar with you know Frankie Edgar's got this fight coming up with Brian Ortega, and Frankie Edgar's got very. Uh, very traditional boxing style. You know, he, he's got uh, good head movement, good boxing fundamentals. There's nothing particularly spectacular about what he does. He's got um, very basic uh, boxing fundamentals when it comes to footwork as well. And he's fighting Brian Ortega, who's a bit wild. He throws things from unusual angles. And really the only risk in, in, in the striking range for uh, Frankie Edgar in that fight is are those unusual angles. So when you get someone, you know, I said it going, you know, with the Conor McGregor fight as well, going in for the Mayweather fight. It's those unpredictable angles that will catch somebody because when you're a boxer, when you're a you know when you're a seasoned boxer like Callum Smith is, you you get used to, you get familiar to those, um, you know those traditional movement patterns, which yep. is what you know that's where head movement comes in, that's where countering comes in because you you're able to predict those movements. Whereas when you're fighting someone, not only that's taken the fight on short notice, so you've not had a time to research and to really prepare properly, also a guy that's coming in from a different ki uh, combat sport. Yeah, he's, he's got twelve fights in boxing, but. The majority of his of his fighting career was in the kickboxing and Muay Thai ring. So there are going to be certain traits in his style that are going to be very different to any other boxer that uh, that Callum Smith was going to face. It, it's a different challenge, and it's a it, it's a it's a big ask for someone with that kind of pressure already on their shoulders, you yeah. know, in the World Boxing Super Series, to then take on a short notice opponent that is as skilled and tough. Absolutely, and I think obviously with the, with the late change, I think Callum Smith 
became an overnight massive favourite. You know, I for one, I was going out there. I'd booked my flight to a hotel and everything. And when the opponent changed, I thought, uh, it's an easy opponent. You know, and I'm as guilty as anybody, I guess, for selling, obviously selling Nicky short, but also, you know, putting that pressure on Callum where it's like, well, you know, you're obviously going to win that fight. So to do it in style and the way he did, I think also as well, I think the bookies now, and certainly a lot of fans are saying, oh, after that performance, now George Groves is definitely the favourite. He's, he's easily going to do a number on Callum Smith and he looked great last time out and this and that. Let's let's look at the tournament so far. George Groves uh, chooses a former super welterweight and Jamie Cox and does a number on him. A guy t- from two weight divisions below and also a guy with a, you know, not with an unbeaten record. Then in the semi-finals, he fights Chris Eubank Jr., a middleweight who has moved up to super middleweight that has also lost before. Callum Smith has just come through two 12-rounders, one against the top-ranked light heavyweight in Scotland, who was due to fight for light heavyweight world title, and one against Nicky Holtzkin, now who's another undefeated fighter and completely unorthodox. For me, Callum Smith should be the favourite. He's the one that's come through two tougher tests here. Yeah, and the other thing you've got to consider as well, you know, when Callum Smith is going into this fight with George Groves, George Groves is going to be looking at, the, at his last fight against Nicky Holskin and has no real comparison to draw from it because, well, he's not faced Nicky Holskin and he probably doesn't know any of the other opponents that have fought Holskin. So it's difficult to gauge the standard that he's that he's competing at. You know, yeah. it, it was a it was a, a short notice fight against a guy that's very tough and durable. Sure, there'll be some things that he can he can learn from it, but. It's not nearly as revealing as it would have been had there not been an opponent change. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, before I let you go today as well, I just want to ask you, it was a you know, it was a dark time for fight sport at the weekend. And I think I, I can say fight sport because it's not just boxing. I think boxing and mixed martial arts communities for me, you know, because of what I do professionally, are completely ingrained these days. I, I call it as one. I think all of British fight sporters in, in relative mourning at the moment. On Saturday, Scott Westgarth, uh, he, he fought at a, a, an event in Doncaster. It, was, uh, it wasn't a main event, but he fought in a 10-rounder against a guy called Dex Spellman. Um, they both, both these guys got dropped. It was Westgarth from Newcastle who ended up winning the decision, getting, the, getting his arm raised at the end of it. Unfortunately, back in the dressing room afterwards, uh, when he was chatting away to his corner team and his family and whatever, he, uh, he came into some issues. They rushed him to hospital. He was uh, put into an induced coma, I believe, and unfortunately on, on Sunday night they, they, they turned the machines off. He's, he's passed away. Obviously, our, our thoughts, first and foremost, go out to Scott Westgarth, his family, his corner team, and also to his opponent, Dex Spellman, who's no doubt facing his own demons right now. But it, it brings into reality, Dan, fight sports, you know, two things that ingrain both our lives you know we're thoroughly passionate about both mixed martial arts and boxing we're ingrained in this we're in for life if you like but it kind of brings it home the dangers out there for prize fighters and it's very real and you know i know from from your point of view you you had a similar instance out in japan not to this extent but you you also took part in the clip around the world race where people have have passed away and it's these moments which kind of sober us as fight fans but also you know how do we how do we put this kind of stuff? How, how do we pigeonhole it and move forward from here? It's difficult because there's a sensitivity around combat sports because the intention is to damage your opponent. You know that, that we're getting in there to stop our opponent, to knock him unconscious or choke him out or whatever. You know whatever uh, rule set you're fighting under. But ultimately, humans should be able to do what they want to do. If if he knew the risks getting in there, and I did when I was fighting as well. You know, like that uh, that circumstance that happened in Japan. 
Um, the fighter that, that I beat, he never fought again after that. He spent a couple of days in hospital. I think he's a he's a cyclist now, which is which is far safer. But even so, you look at the Tour de France. We lose we lose cyclists Absolutely. in Tour de France. Mm -hmm. You know, motor racing, horse racing. The, you know, there are fatalities in all the, all these different sports. So we can't shy away from the fact yeah. that you know our mortality is very real. You know, we we can we can lose our lives at any minute. I mean, as you said, I was on the Clipper race and we sat here looking, uh, overlooking the beautiful Albert Docks where the uh, the Clipper race started from. And, you know, we lost, I think, two people on the last race, two people on the race that I was on. It's it's the reality of it. You know, we're, we're very fragile as human beings. That doesn't mean that we should shy away from dangerous circumstances. What all we can do as a, as a society is support these people. So, and, and I know you're very much involved in this, making sure the fighters are healthy before they step in there. Yeah. You know, the last fatality that we had in mixed martial arts was uh, uh, over in Ireland on that on that show. And, you know, uh, Joao Cavallo was not tested like he should have been before he went into that fight. So a lot of these things can be flagged. Reality is that, you know, sometimes these things are going to happen and it is unfortunate. And you've just got to re remember that the person stepping in there knew full well what they were signing up for and signed a death waiver before they went in. Yeah, I, I, It's unfortunate, obviously, you know, it's very, very sad that, that anybody loses their life doing something they love. But at the same time, I don't think people should shy away from doing something they love because there is a potential to lose your life doing it. Yeah, and I know that sounds a bit extreme, but I, I think as humans, we have a right to, to test ourselves in the most extreme environments. You know, you look at these guys with these flying squirrel suits that jump off the sides of mountains. I mean that's incredibly dangerous. If you make one wrong move, you, you're done. You're in pieces. Yeah. But we can't stop people doing that. You know, you, you can't stop people doing base jumping. You can't stop people doing motor racing or, or or clipper racing or whatever it is. We we are fragile as human beings, and sometimes these things are going to happen. And all we can do is is protect people and set people up with the right tools and the right circumstances to either go into it in the right way or on the other side of it, get healed up and, and rehabilitated in the right way. Yeah. Do you think, uh, you touched on it then, do you think fight sports does come under a little bit more scrutiny because of the nature of getting in there to try and hit your opponent? You know, I, I don't think anyone got plans to run a marathon and, and expects there to be problems, yet I think more marathon runners die year on year than any other sport. You know, it's, it, it, you know it, it's got a massive fatality rate, unfortunately, but no one would ever say, oh, don't go for a run. I think fight sports are, are slightly different because there's that mentality going in there of trying to knock out your opponent. In this case, neither guy did get knocked out. You know, it's... Uh, it's hard to. I think from a from a fan's perspective, you know, I I found out the news late last night, and I was also at the time watching the next gen show on on Sky Sports. I'm watching boxing. I'm watching my prospect of the year, Jordan Gill, looking sensational, and I'm watching this as I'm getting fed the information that a, a guy 24 hours earlier has lost his life doing this exact same thing. And from a fan perspective, it kind of there's that slight reality check where you kind of buy into the fact. Okay, well wait a minute. Let let let's let's put this out there in terms of what we are actually watching here. Yes, it's entertaining. Yes, it's incredible sports, but it makes you think about what the guys are signing up for and also what they're going through. You know, the, these guys that you're watching, these professional fighters, more often than not, have had an eight and a ten week camp and I think most fans don't take that, into, don't appreciate that. And I think in this day and age, certainly with social media, people are so quick to criticise on social media. Like Callum Smith, he's come up for all kinds of stick for not finishing this guy. Yet under the circumstances and the pressure he was under, in reality, it's a phenomenal performance. I think, yes, it's, it's absolutely tragic that, that Scott Westgarth has, 
lost his life. But let's look at the amazing things that are going on in sport and the amazing thing that fight sports, the, 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 the movement that's going forward, certainly in mixed martial arts, where we were 10 years ago compared to where we are now, Dan, it's like chalk and cheese. It, it is. It is. And you're right. There is a sensitivity around combat sports. And, you know, if if before that fight had happened, you'd have given you'd have given Westgarth the opportunity. You'd have said to him, "Look, you know, you know the risks here. This is incredibly dangerous. You know that you may not you, you may not see the day after." Would would he have stopped himself? Of course he wouldn't. You know he yep. was doing what he loved. You asked me you asked me a little earlier about the Clipper race, and nobody had died on the race before I took part in it. And you said to me, "Had it have happened on the race before, would you have not taken part?" And I would have absolutely done it. A part of the reason why I wanted to do it was because it took me so close to my own mortality. Yeah. You know, I, I knew that there was a risk going into it. And it's the same with mixed martial arts. The reason that you get that massive adrenaline rush, the reason that you feel that anxiety and that tension and there's a pressure in the arena and everybody everybody in the arena can feel that tension is because there is a risk there. There is a danger there. Like we, We're adrenaline junkies as human beings. And, and unfortunately, when it comes to combat sports, there's only a small percentage of the population that understands what it takes to get in there and why somebody would want to do that. But just because that's true, it doesn't mean that the people that don't want to do it have got a right to decide the people that do want to do it, whether they can or not. Yep. Like I said, all we can do is just set those people up to make sure they're safe going in and then when they come out, they've got all the, the support they need to make sure that they're healthy moving forward. Absolutely. Uh, you're listening to Fight Disciples on Radio City Talk. I've been your host, Nick Pete. If you want any more from us, check us out across social media at Fight Disciples. We've got plenty more shows to come this week. We've got a, a boxing review show uh, from international and domestic scene, and we've also got a breakdown of the UFC card, which will feature more from Dan Hardy. Thank you so much for joining us in the studio. And by the way, your own podcast is up and running now. Where can fans listen to that? Uh, yes, uh, fullreptileradio.co.uk. It's on uh, It's on. YouTube and iTunes and stuff. I'm I'm trying to catch up with the Fight Disciples, and you guys are helping me get organised <laughs> with all that. I appreciate it, but um, yeah, we're, we're slowly getting there now. So we're uh, enjoying please, it, please. I am enjoying it. I am enjoying. It's about it. time, Dan. Yeah, it is. It is. I'm just not as organised as, as you guys are. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, thanks so much for joining us in the studio. I'll catch up with you again soon. We'll definitely get Dan Hardy back on the show, and no doubt it will be before UFC Liverpool drops in this fine city. Dan, until. Paddy Pimlet on the undercard, Molly McCann, Lee Chadwick, Chris Fishgold. We want them all. We want them here with Dana White and his beautiful bald head in this city. That's what we need. Thanks for joining us. I'll catch you next week. See you soon. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe via iTunes.